This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Hey, business storytellers. It's Christoph Trapp, your host and author of Content Performance Culture. Today's show, I'd like to talk about email marketing and specifically um, how do you overcome objections? Uh, in other words, I think that means uh, when people don't respond to you and don't take any action. So, of course, uh, once again, I found the experts in the field, um, Rob and Kennedy. They're the founders of Response Suite and hosts of The Email Marketing Show. How's Hello. It going? Very well. Well, thanks for joining us. And, you know, of course, your show, uh, I listen to it. Uh, it comes out, what, every week? I, I don't even know when it comes out. I just get the notifications. <laughs> every Wednesday, like clockwork. Yeah. Every, every Wednesday. I only know when I get my notifications. Um, so you guys are the, the real deal. First names only. <laughs> yeah, you know, we thought it worked for Prince and Madonna. And Ellen's now rocking it now as well. So let's do it. Well, I was trying to do it, but I, um, uh, you know, I was going to sign up for Christoph.online and it's not available. And I thought maybe I'm already too late to go with the first name only. But anyway, I'm glad I uh, got you guys on the show. So tell me about email marketing. Uh, we we, we kind of talked about how do you overcome objections? How do you move people forward? What does that even mean? Right. So, I mean, I think one of the things you've got to remember is that when it comes to email, Email is just another app that's on your phone. So a lot of people think about, oh, I want to do my marketing through the lovely stories I tell on Instagram, or I want to do it through the stories I tell on Twitter or whatever it's going to be, Facebook, whatever. But actually, email is also an app on our phone, and it's usually sandwiched right between the Twitter and the Instagram app. Like, it's right there. So it's delivered right to people's faces in their hands. So I think... People do get resistant around this idea of doing email sometimes. But the, the, what's really interesting about the flip side of that is email is the, according to a lot of the research we've been reading, it is the highest performing return on investment, revenue generating channel that there is bar none. Right. So that's pretty like it's pretty alarming that people go, oh, is it is it dead? And it's definitely not dead. It definitely works better than ever. Um, but I think there's a lot of people doing it wrong. What email gives us is a really good way to control the narrative of what our audience are consuming. So one of the problems that if I post something on Instagram or on Twitter, the only way I really know who's responded to that is based on who's liked it, commented it, retweeted it, shared it, you know, whatever the social platform of, of choice offers. And I don't really then know whether that person has gone on to make a purchase, whether they've looked at the thing particularly. I, I can't identify each individual person who's looked at something. Whereas if we take our email list, for example, and we send them a promotion for something and maybe they click the link and some people click the link and go and look at the page. Some people just read the email and they ignore it. Some people never even open the email. I know granularly person by person, of course, who opened the email, who didn't, who clicked the link, who didn't, therefore who's seen the page and who didn't. Didn't. which means that now if somebody has clicked the link 
they've opened the email, they've clicked the link and they've looked at your, your product or your service and they haven't gone and made a purchase. I know at what point in that journey it fell over. I know my email worked because it got them to open it and it got them to click the link. But then something about what they saw on the page didn't do it for them. It didn't float their boat. It didn't get them buying. Likewise, if somebody doesn't get as far as opening the email, oh, sorry, somebody doesn't get as far as opening the email, I know my subject line and the concept of my email just didn't get them. And so this is really, really powerful now for me to be able to say, okay, great. Why didn't this person buy? At what point in this process did this fall over? And then let's follow up with them accordingly. And so what that means is that now, if we know that we've got a segment of people automatically without doing anything sort of fancy, we know we've got a segment of people who just never opened the email in the first place. Therefore, they could never have bought. Then we've got a bunch of people who opened the email but didn't click the link. Well, they could have bought, but they, something about it didn't get their interest enough to click the link. And then you've got those people who opened read it, clicked the link and got as far as the, the offer, but they didn't actually then go ahead with the purchase. And so now instantly we've got this divided into three really neat little segments, as opposed to if you look at another, another, you know, any other form of platform like social or anything where you're kind of just throwing stuff out there and hoping that some of it sticks and some people might take action, if that makes sense. It does. I got like 18 questions. <laughs> On <laughs> the time, please, 20, Christoph. Maybe 25. <laughs> um, so when you talk about, you know, people get email and I get email too, like all day long. Right. Um, but there is an issue that I've identified. And I think I, I sent a snarky tweet the other day about um, if you're an email marketing provider and your email goes into my spam folder, uh, that's probably not a good indicator or a good start to our relationship. But um, then I have the email marketers out there and I say, all these emails go into my spam. How come it's counted as delivered? And apparently that counts as yeah. delivered or whatever. But it's it's kind of like saying direct mail, right? In the in our mailbox, which seems to be much smaller nowadays uh, because people are cutting back on their marketing um, email uh, marketing mails. But it's kind of like my my five year old runs out and gets the mail and puts it into the recycling without showing it to me. Like that letter technically was delivered to my house, but I never saw it. So how, like, how can, how can companies overcome that? And is that a real problem or is it just in my head? I think, you know, I think it is a problem and it's all to do with what is your relationship with the people you're sending emails to? Because all these email providers, Gmail and Hotmail and Live and all, all these people who receive emails for you, their job is to filter out the good, the the good from the bad and the great from the ugly. That, that's what their job is. And if you're putting indicators to those people that this is probably not great quality stuff, then you are going to end up in the junk. And there's a few things that do that. It's not just the words you put in your email that do this. It's, as you can probably imagine, quite a lot more smart than that. So yes, if you use any sexual words in your emails, you've got a higher chance of being flagged as as having probably less quality email. If you use uh, offensive words or if you use words like free or something that's really overtly salesy, hypey. I mean, not even salesy because salesy is fine, but hypey, free, download now. Like if you just spam it full of sex, 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 download now, free, you're probably going to end up uh, in, the, in the junk, in the spam. That's just one element. The other element is really to do with the reputation you're building. So if you are sending using one of the standard email marketing platforms, and there's hundreds of them, it's a very busy landscape, uh, 
what one of you one of the things you've got to think about is you are sharing a reputation with other people who send from that same server. So if that company has a reputation or is building a reputation of sending and re- of sending really high quality emails and they are really tight on the types of people they allow to use their service, then you're going to be in that camp too, which means they're going to be a bit more sensitive to what you're allowed to put on those emails and you might get your account closed. On the flip side of that, if they let anybody who's got any kind of reputation, who's selling any old thing, just absolutely spam the heck out of people, then you're going to be in the same boat as those people. So it's about, there's there's an element of reputation in in that whole group. The second piece of of reputation that not a lot of people, not a lot of people talk about, or maybe realize, I suppose, is, is your reputation. And what I mean by that is, if I send an email to a, a thousand people, okay, I email a thousand people, Within the next sort of few days, only 1% of those people open my email. Then that, let's say they, they all go to Gmail accounts for the sake of conversation. Gmail's going to suddenly go, you know what? Every time this Kennedy bloke emails, 99% of the people don't even open it. Nobody clicks. Nobody engages. That's, that's, that's not good. And over time, that damages your reputation. That's why one of the big things we talk about a lot is the importance of segmentation of your emails, of your email subscribers, so you can send more relevant emails to each person. So if you're sending things that people care about, they're going to open them. They're going to click on stuff and they're going to take action. You're going to help them. And guess what? You're going to make sales too. We also talk about the importance of realizing that people move on. Just because they joined you nine years ago doesn't mean they still have the same business, the same concern. They say they have the same challenge. Because remember, when people come into your world, they come into your world because they've got a problem, they've got a challenge, or they want some help with something, right? And that's the only reason they're around. As soon as their problem is solved, they no longer have that, and they therefore no longer have a need to hear from you. But they might have not bothered to click the unsubscribe link. They might just leave you unread, or worse, they might just have you filtered off into a a folder or a spare email account that they never check. The problem is they are also, because they're not engaging, they're also damaging your reputation with all the email, we'll call them receivers, the Gmails of this world. So what we advise we do is we segment people so everything is more relevant, and we can maybe talk about some ways of doing that. And we also look at how engaged people are. And if people stop engaging with us for after 60 days, they're not opening our stuff, they're not clicking our emails, we want to put them into a sequence of emails that's only intended to wake them up and make them re-engage, to give them one last chance. And it might take 14 to 16 days to do that. But then at the end of that, if they don't, well, you know what it is. You're not doing anybody any favors by having them hang around. And you will actually... If you delete those people, if you just discard them, stop sending to them, you will increase your ability to deliver and get into the right place for the people who do want to hear from you. So let's talk about segmentation, though. So, I, you know, how do you know um, what people are interested in? I'm just thinking of this example right here. Um, during this whole coronavirus pandemic, and you, you probably saw it, New York Times even wrote about it. Everybody was sending emails to everybody, you know, every business. It seemed like we care about you and in these tough times or unprecedented times or whatever the the buzzwords were. And um, they didn't say anything. I mean, I got emails from restaurants 
that I went to in Chicago like five years ago. And I even I didn't even remember. Right. Because you know how it is. You go to Chicago, you go to a different restaurant every day. <laughs> and um, so they were highly irrelevant. And then on the flip side, they were companies that I didn't get an email from because typically the emails they send in the pre-coronavirus days, they were very irrelevant to me, right? Like, let's say my gym. My gym would send out emails about yoga. I'm not, guys, I'm not going to do yoga. I mean, the end. <laughs> not my thing, right? Um, so I would unsubscribe, not because I didn't like the gym, but because I thought their emails were not relevant to me. Well, now, during coronavirus, their emails are highly relevant to me, but I don't get them anymore because I unsubscribe, right? So they they didn't... Maybe they didn't segment, I guess. But you see the problem I'm describing, right? How do you figure out uh, what group people should be in and how do you move that forward? Totally. So one of the things that you want to do as an email marketer is to build up over time a picture of who your subscribers are on a sort of granular person-by-person basis. So one of the great things about email, of course, is we know who each individual person is. We know how many of them there are. We, you know, we've, we've got their actual name or their email address, their telephone number, whatever it is that they gave you when they joined your list in the first place. So now over time, you want to collect small bits of information, which all feed together to create this big picture. But it's not like terrifying big brothers watching you type stuff you know you hear all of the rumors about the social media networks and all of that stuff and how much data they have on us so it's none of that it's literally taking the opportunity to ask people part of it is asking people to tell you stuff about them and then the second bit of it is stuff that you can kind of figure out along the way so for example let's imagine that you send out a weekly podcast like we do and every single week that podcast is going to have a slightly different uh, difference of angle or different approach. So for example, this episode of your podcast we're recording right now is about email marketing and all of those things. Now out of it, you could probably pull three or four different topics that if somebody tunes in to listen to this based on the dis- based on the description you give them, you could probably say they're interested in three or four things. One of them is email marketing. One of them is probably going to be segmentation, that kind of thing. So you can now take those topics and you can make sure that if somebody reads the description of this podcast episode in an email and they click on that link and they go across to listen to the podcast, you can assume safely that they're probably interested in email marketing and or segmentation and on and or whatever else we go on to talk about. And therefore, you can tag them inside your email marketing system and say, hey, this person who clicked on this link is probably interested in these two, three, four, however many things. And so one of the first steps you should do is to have a bunch of interest-related tags that allow you to say, okay, that person's probably interested in that because they clicked on that blog post or that podcast episode or that's something else. So on a, on a very basic level as a starting point, that's the first bit that you should do. And so, for example, if you were a gym facility and you were to start putting out some basic content when somebody first comes into, into your newsletter about the yoga classes or about whatever else, if somebody doesn't click to read anything about yoga or any of that other stuff, you can safely assume that they're very quickly not interested in that. But if you were to click on the one about you know the spinning classes, they can probably assume that you're more interested in that kind of thing. Uh, so that's the first bit of sort of over time you build this picture of who people are, what they're interested in, what they're not interested in. On the flip side of that, the more overt way of doing it is literally when somebody first comes into your business and they opt in maybe on the thank you page after they've opted in or somewhere around that when they first log into something, you really want to take the opportunity to ask them some questions. We do it through a survey. Obviously, we're biased because we have a survey platform that's built to do it, but you want to ask them through a survey, who are you? What are you interested in? Literally multiple choice, two or three questions that 
that just have the job of finding out why did they come into your world in the first place? And it's so that you can serve them with better, more relevant content. And it's totally okay to be open about that. Literally say, we want to know more about you because we want to make sure that the content we send you is more relevant. It is more helpful. It is more interesting. And so that puts all of the onus on them and it puts all of the, all of the interest uh, on them. It's, it's, it's in their best interest in order to, to give you that information. And you get massively high responses, like 80, 90% of people who see that will take the opportunity to say, hey, this is a great, this is a great idea. I just want this person to know a bit more about me so that the stuff they send me is going to be more relevant. So I think the answer to my next question was kind of embedded yeah. in there, but I want to make sure uh, we talk about it briefly. So when you say I, surveys drive me crazy, yeah. um, you know, I look at them and I'm, I'm seeing like they probably had 18 uh, committee meetings, nine subcommittee meetings, uh, 18 rounds of approval to get these surveys done. And they look like work. They're too long. They're like, I mean, I'm like, I don't even know how you guys come up with all these categories. But when you say a survey, you're not saying to have 99 items on the list that I have to go through and check, right? Like a few things to learn a little bit. Right. Yeah. So let's give an example of, of actually, this is probably a good way to, to describe it is to talk about how we overcome objections with a simple survey. And this gives you a really good illustration of how short the survey should be because with response week, we have, we get to see a lot of surveys because you can build surveys with that platform. And so we, mm-hmm. we see that when you add a sixth question into a survey, your completion rate drops off a cliff. And the reason that is, is because people haven't got the attention, they haven't got the time, and usually your survey has not been positioned, as Rob just said, to be of benefit to them. And that's super important, that it's of benefit to them, okay? So um, here's an example of a one-question survey that we ran to overcome some objections. And you can literally go out and use this. I mean, you, 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 you can use any platform to do this, right, pretty much. So... We were running a, a campaign to sell, um, to promote our email marketing membership, which we call The League. Okay, so we've done a nice promotion of The League. We've got a whole bunch of new members. That's lovely, great stuff. So then we're having a stra- strategy meeting of thinking, why did the other people who did not join our program, not buy our program, not enroll in our service, whatever it is that you do, why did they not buy? And then we realized, why don't we just ask them? So we realized that it only boils down to a bunch of reasons why somebody doesn't take the action, doesn't purchase the thing that you're offering them. And that might come down to a perception of not being able to afford it. It might be that they actually have never heard about it. They've missed your promotions because we know that definitely happens. It might be that they don't know if it's going to work for them. That's just three examples to keep this, keep this nice and simple. But you might come up with maybe up to five, right? So what we did is we sent an email out to our list of people who did not pursue. We had segmented them out, the people who had purchased. So we're not going to annoy those people. That's standard sort of stuff, isn't it? But we're going to email the people who have not purchased that segment and say, hi, we notice we've been promoting this thing. We want to know why you haven't enrolled yet because we genuinely think you're going to get loads out of it. You're in our world. You listen to the email marketing show. You've joined our list through one of our free offers. You're in, you obviously like email marketing. You read our emails this is the perfect next step. Why didn't you do that? We've put together a one question survey. You don't need to type. There's no essay. All you need to do is click one time to, t- to and that'll give us the feedback we need in order to help you or to understand you better. 
And then we put a link to the survey and the survey had that one question. Why have you not enrolled in the league of extraordinary email marketers yet? And then we literally offered them the options. What the heck is the league of extraordinary email marketers? Um, and the next option was, I feel like I can't afford it. And the third option was, um, was I don't know if it will work for me. There actually was a couple of other options, but we'll just keep those for simplicity. The people who clicked to say, what the heck is it? We took them straight to a page, which was just the sales page, the regular offer page to let them know what it was. That, that, that's that person's problem, uh, problem solved. But simultaneously, because Responsory actually links to our email marketing platform or to many email marketing platforms, we also tagged them to say that person hadn't heard of it yet. So we've just told them about it. Follow up with them later. Awesome stuff. But the pe anybody else who came along, maybe they chose, I feel like I can't afford it. On the next page, as soon as they hit submit, we showed them a video which said, hey, I totally understand that you feel like you can't afford it right now. Let's help you out with that. In this case, we offered them a trial for a dollar for 14 days, told them what they would get for that so they could make more than, more than their investment back. So basically, we, we helped overcome that objection. And then the third option, anybody who said, um, I don't know if it will work for me, when they clicked on that, we showed them a page that said, I totally understand your, your situation is unique and all of our businesses are unique. So I'll tell you what, if you join the League of Extraordinary Email Marketers, what we'll do is we'll organize a one-to-one 20 -one, minute call with either Rob or myself, and we'll work with you on how to apply what you're learning in the league as quickly as possible so you can see how it applies. So, and then of course we've tagged the people to follow up based on their objection. So it's a single survey. It's very to the point. It's very focused around them. And then, of course, we take action based on the results. And uh, sounds simple enough. Right. I mean, uh, not really, but it, I mean, it's in theory, right? Um, it's simple. How do you so on your team? So let's I mean, I'm a content guy. Um, you know, how, how do I produce content that performs, as you also see in the book, content performance yeah. culture. Um, but on a team, who should own what you just described? Who should own the oversight? Who should own the um, how do you move people through the funnel? Because, like, even though that sounded relatively simple, somebody still has to do that, right? And somebody still has to keep an eye on it, even when it's automated. Totally. So you, it's a thing about who's who's in charge of your funnel, or who's the person who heads up your revenue, or who's the person who normally would run your retargeting ads campaign, or what? Basically, this is a, a method of, it's almost a bit like retargeting. It's like, hey, you didn't take me up on this thing. Tell me why and we'll overcome it together. So it's that person Okay. And typically, so is it just being added to somebody's workload or is that a new skill set? How do you typically see that evolve? It sort of depends on what approach you take to it. I mean, the way that we put it together, it's so, so simple that, for example, if you've got somebody in your team who can use something like Canva and you can literally like drag a design mm -hmm. together, then it becomes as simple as that. But, but then the follow-up to it is just, it's, it's, it's email marketing 
applied probably so unless unless you yeah it's it's very likely to be email marketing if you happen to be somebody who does direct mail or, or over the phone selling then it, it might be done that way but for the most part it's going to be done through email so realistically in terms of writing the email follow-up sequences and those kind of things that would be handled by whoever it is within the business does email marketing i know in any business i'm involved in that i would always want that to be me because it's the thing i enjoy the most so you would you would pick you would pick the person on your team who does email marketing and, and they would be in charge of uh, in charge of creating the follow-up sequences in a way that says if somebody falls into category a which says they said they can't afford it okay then great let's make sure we put a thing together for that so let's talk about timing timing matters right i mean i see it with myself um i was joke. i mean I, I wasn't joking but not joking with your podcast i mean i I don't even know what day it comes out. I listen to it when I get the notification in my Google Podcast right. app, right? And, typic and typically the time um, is really good because it, it, I think it comes out right in the morning when I, uh, when I check my phone. It's right there and I click on it. Email is the same thing, right? I'm, I'm seeing an email and if the timing is bad, I might just delete it because I don't want to deal with it and I'm an inbox zero addict. Um, so... How do you, this, I mean, first of all, does timing matter or is that again just me? And then how do you overcome it if it does? Kennedy, do you want to take that? Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were, I thought you, that was a you question. Sorry, Rob. Um, I'm sure we can make that sound really smooth and professional. Um, yeah. So um, the timing thing is interesting. The way that we deal with timing is, and I'm going to say something that's going to, make the hair on the backs of people's necks stand up probably is that <laughs> we email seven days a week we email every day and the and that sounds like wow that's really intense for some people and some people are like yeah of course you do the reason we do that and the reason we've done that for so long is one it's the highest profit activity we do in our business bar none and the, and the big reason that that's the case is, is reason two. And that is, remember what we said at the very beginning of this conversation. And that is the reason people are in your world, the reason they are following you on Twitter, the reason they are in your Facebook group, subscribe to your blog, in your email system is because they want your guidance. They want your inspiration. They want your help. They've got a problem and they want to solve it somehow. And if you're going to solve my problem in little tidbits of stories and information every single day, then I'm going to love you for it. But if you send me garbage, if you send me rubbish, if you just beat me over the head with sales, sales offers every day, then I'm not going to be your friend. And I'm going to unsubscribe very quickly. And I'm going to talk about how you can do both of those things in a second. I'll let Rob talk about selling every day in a second. Um, but so every single day we show up with a story which is about this is what's happening in the world. This is what's happening in our lives. And this is what's happening. And here's the business lesson because we obviously teach e email marketing. But what's the lesson that we can bring out of that that's of value to our audience as subscribers to keep them inspired, to keep them engaged, to keep them feel like they're moving forward and connected with this problem. Keep them accountable is another reason people might subscribe to you, by the way, to keep them accountable to that thing. Um, then that's not going to be a pest. So timing-wise, okay, so if first thing this morning, if I send my email out at 6.15 a.m., which is when I send out one of my daily emails, because across our brands, we send out several. 
So if that wasn't a good time for you because you're in a different time zone to me, that's okay because tomorrow mornings might be because of the way that time shifts, right? So it's about consistency. And it's like that same thing you just said. You like it because every week the email marketing show pops up in your podcast player and you hit play at that time. And you need to be there. You need to show up consistently. And if you're only emailing once a month, and you are only connecting with your audience, helping your audience, and having an opportunity to make a sale 12 times a year. 12 times a year! Whereas if you just up that to five times a week, Monday to Friday, that's 260 times a year. You add it seven days a week, which we do on some of our businesses, that's 365 times a year. So you've already helped people more, You've given them more inspiration. They've connected with you more. They've learned to like you and, and trust you more. And you've given yourself more opportunities to sell. So repetition matters, right? I mean, that's kind of- Not necessarily matters. repetition, but being there and showing up because you don't want to send the same message every single day. Like every day, like my email today that I sent out was about, um, I was walking on the beach yesterday with my other half and her and I realized that was the- there was a, a dog running around with a fish in its mouth. And I talked about that and how, and, and the story, the business lesson out of that. But yesterday it was about a completely different thing, but still there is some kind of business lesson coming out of it. And it'll be a different business lesson every day. And then we'll relate it to some kind of product. Bob, do you want to talk about how we relate it to products? Yeah. And, and sometimes this comes with a free shoehorn. That's how we describe it. Sometimes the way that you take the story and the thing that's happened to you is a little bit shoehorned. And part of the reason for that is that we actually start when we write the email, we start with the story first and we don't particularly think about the direction it's going to have to go in and how we're going to get it across to the product we're going to sell until we, we're into it. So you start writing the, the email about something that happened. So for me, this was about the fact that this week I this week I bought a bike and I haven't had a bike for 15 years. And now I had to relearn how to ride a bike because despite what they say, it's not like learning to ride a bike. And so um, I haven't had a bike for 15 years. And this is where I started with the story. No idea how I'm going to link this back to email marketing at all. So I'm just writing the story and I'm not editing it. I'm not, I'm literally just dumping words onto a page as if I was writing an email to a friend to tell them about a thing. So I bought the bike and that's interesting. And it was, I, I couldn't believe it when I started shopping for a bike, there were bikes that were 10,000 pounds. I thought that's, in, I didn't know you could buy bikes for that much. I keep going. My bike was a cheap entry level bike. It was like 200 pounds, uh, et cetera. A couple of weeks ago, I would have thought that was expensive. Boom. Suddenly, I'm now into a lesson that's about understanding pricing and the fact that your audience don't know pricing in your industry like you do. And therefore, that gives you a massive advantage as a vendor to get over their pricing objections and then weave that into a story. And so that happened very um, sort of naturally over the course of literally writing a story about buying a bike and the fact that I took it out for a bike ride and haven't been bike riding for 15 years. So my bum hurts now and all of this other stuff. And then that led into a story about pricing. And then afterwards, I just went down and said, okay, great. How do I shrink that down now just to be the minimum viable, funny, interesting story linked to getting them across to what it is that I want to talk about? And so it happened quite organically and naturally. Very interesting. And, you know, interesting feedback. You didn't even notice it when you mentioned it earlier. So I used the term repetition. And that's really the wrong term. A better term is frequency, right? right? So, um, so not repeating the same message. And what's interesting about frequency is if I can, uh, let me share my own story first quickly. Um, I do a lot of um, uh, drip campaigns, especially after webinars, after other things uh, where people engage with content. 
And what's interesting is um, there's certain messages I see that are working and there's certain, um, uh, I don't want to say drop off points, but there's certain points where people start responding. And usually it's not the first message. Sometimes it's the second message. But a lot of times on the fifth message, I see the highest response rate. Um, so certainly it's, it's interesting because when you bring that up, sometimes I have people say, well, is the campaign working? And I'm like, well, we send one email. It's working when you think about that first email. But we see the highest response on the fifth email, which is actually 23 days down the road. Um, have you seen that kind of uh, behavior 100%. as well? Or, In fact, ours is it's not, not the fifth one. Ours is our third email does very well. So we, our first one does well. And then our second one, we have to just do so we can get to the third one. It's how we always look at it. So, yeah, similar sort of thing. It's about just being there, showing up. I think we don't want to be a drive-by seller. You know, we don't want to be going like, anybody wanted to buy this thing? No, okay, thank you, bye. And then leave. <laughs> because some people might go, oh, actually, that was quite interesting. And be like rabbit in headlights and just happened, just happened to be thinking about that thing. But the third email or the fourth or the fifth email in your case, has given you a bit of frequency. It makes it feel like, psychologically speaking, it makes it feel like you have committed to this and this is what you are about. Because I think we are all afraid of what this person going to try and sell me next. And remember that person, every, every person who you're, who you're sending emails to is receiving lots of other emails, lots of offers, and you're competing with all of them. You are, they are being pulled from all, all directions. So for sure, it's about showing up. It's about showing you are committed, but it's also about, as Rob said, expanding and, uh, and moving along the narrative of that campaign. We have a saying, we used to say a lot, and we probably haven't said it for a little while, and it's about time we, we resurrect it. And that is, you never want to send out a single email. Everything should be campaigns. Always campaigns must be multi-step, they must be multi-touch, and they should all do something slightly different. Remember, some people are going to respond to something positive and exciting. Other people are going to respond to more of a fear kind of angle. Others are going to do, do really well and get excited if they hear something to do with scarcity, or some people might like a personal interest thing. Some people might like to learn something small from your email. So you have to build all these different types of things into those campaigns. You touch different types of people in different ways in the way they need to be uh, hearing your information. So I did have an article before over on the Scribble Life blog, now Rock Content blog, on the fine line between being a really good marketer and being a little sneaky or too sneaky, right? Crossing the line. Um, and, and one example that comes to mind is the whole, uh, the, the email where you reply, it looks like you're replying and it says, uh, just making sure you got my email, which maybe that's more used by salespeople, but I, I don't know. Anyway, what I've seen every time, and I don't do that all the time, but every time I use that strategy, that email, as much as people complain to my face that they don't like that strategy, actually seems to work. It has like the highest open rate, the highest response rate of a lot of emails. Um, so how do, you, how do you find that line of driving results and staying relevant to the majority of people uh, and not crossing the line to doing something that most people will see as sneaky or 
uh, salesy or slimy or whatever. I think it sort of comes down to two things. One is realizing that whatever you do, some people are not going to like it. Like I recently sent out an email, nothing spammy or scammy or anything about it at all. It had a screenshot of a video that we were sending them to in the actual email content itself as an interesting thing for them to click on. And somebody replied because it didn't, uh, it wouldn't display the image natively in the email marketing, in the email platform they were using, which was uh, Thunderbird by Mozilla. And so he complained and swore at us and was very abusive and rude. So I just went and unsubscribed from the list. But the following day, that gave me the fuel for what that day's email was going to be about. It was about the fact that I am, and then it was the little turd emoji at email marketing, because that's what the guy had said to me. And then except he swore. And then I sent that email out to the list. And we got a flood of replies from people saying, that this is really funny. This made my day. I really like receiving your emails. Keep it up. Keep it up. And so I think the first thing is to realize whatever you do, there's always going to be people who just don't get it we ran an offer recently that had like a countdown timer on it and there was some real scarcity this urgency that said you have to buy this now otherwise when the countdown timer has gone it's gone we had a guy who replied and he's done this to two different offer sorry time-based emails saying well i'm I'm not gonna have time to watch the video before midnight tonight so i'm just gonna have to count me out and that's perfectly okay but equally he's never going to respond well to our style of marketing and so we just said, if you want to unsubscribe, feel free to unsubscribe. That's totally fine. So the first thing to know is whatever you do, some people are not going to like it. And some people are going to like it. And the more you annoy some people, the closer you're going to bring other people to you. I think you do have to be careful, however, not with actually how, not, not necessarily with just how it's perceived, but with the effect that it has on your ongoing business. So there's two elements to this. One is the boy who cried wolf. That is, the more you do something that is every so often, if you do something in your subject line or in in the opening of your email that's designed to provoke a reaction of some description, you will get it. But the next time you you need to use that, it's going to be less powerful. That's the first thing. The second thing to realize is that over time, the email platforms will start to say, that person's put RE colon in the subject line but we can tell this isn't actually a reply to a conversation. It's one of the things email marketing, email, sorry, email uh, service providers look for is if you put RE or FWD colon in your subject line, obviously they know that that's not actually a reply and they know that you're not actually forwarding anything. And they do mark you down for that. That is considered something that would put you closer towards getting into the spam folder, especially if you do it consistently. Every once in a while, it's probably okay. But if you do it consistently, so I think there's two things to, to really weigh up there is one every time you do something that's a little bit edgy it's going to make it less effective the next time around and secondly if it's trying to spoof something not not to scam people but if it's just trying to spoof something that is a real world email thing that is going to get less effective and it's more likely to push you towards the junk folder I remember one of the things that people used to try and do was they would have an email signature. So they would have like an automated campaign all set up. And then in the, in the signature underneath their name, it would like say Kennedy. And then it would say sent from my iPhone. And it wasn't, it was sent from active campaign or whatever. And that was a thing we used to see a lot. (laughs) Sneaky. Just a little bit. So be real, be, uh, you know, stay in front of people. And, uh, you know, be authentic. How about the send times? I know you guys mentioned uh, you, you send emails all the time. And, you know, people read emails all the time. So it makes sense. But, but I've also seen companies and they look at what are the best times to send. And, you know, even picking on emails and even podcasts, um, they would say, well, Monday mornings are the best times to send. Well, then everybody's reading the same book on that stat and everybody is sending me an email on Monday, and then I have nothing else on all the other days. 
podcast, you know, I just, I think I, I don't know if I blogged about this or I talked about it somewhere. Same thing. Everybody is dropping their podcast sometime during the week, right? In fact, I think Tuesday and Wednesday are now in, uh, um, good days for people to do it. Um, but there's nothing on Saturday. So I'm like, how come nobody is dropping a podcast on Saturday? I'd like something to listen to. So how do you overcome that balance of this is a time that works, but now everybody's using it's, that time. Um, sorry, Rob, um, before you go into what you're about to say, I'll just give a little heads up. This is one of our one of our most listened to episodes of the email marketing show is about how do you what is the best time to do this right rob yeah so definitely go and check that out however i mean the truth is there are only 24 hours in a day and therefore we have to take those 24 hours and divide them between everyone who's sending out emails so i think if we try and send out at a time that nobody else is sending out obviously it is going to be problematic um i think there is one little sneaky trick though that i can throw in here that we tested or sneaky uh, trick and now we're doing so be ready be ready for the don't trick. cross the it's not line. that kind of sneaky trick but you'll <laughs> like it um is this when most people who send out emails whether they're sending out broadcasts or automations they do it scheduled so most people will write an email and then they'll schedule it to go out at a certain time later in the day that way they don't have to be sat at their computer at the same time every day in order to get an email out at the same time every day likewise some people will batch schedule so they'll write loads of emails and they'll send them out and the vast 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 majority and you don't have to look very hard to see this if you just open your email app on your phone and scroll down, you'll see that most of the marketing emails that you receive from businesses come out on the hour. So they get sent out at two o'clock, three o'clock, five o'clock, six o'clock, or they'll come out at half, pa half past the hour. It's very, very rare that they'll come out on an odd, odd minute. So we tested sending out emails at six minutes past two instead of two o'clock or eight minutes past two or um, seven minutes to three instead of three o'clock. And we saw a higher open and click-through rates because what tends to happen is for people who've got their email notific notifications on, which I think is a terrible idea, by the way, for productivity, is they see a flood of emails come through on the hour, every hour, or within a minute or two of that hour by the time they actually get delivered. But if you nudge it out by a few more minutes to like an obscure time, like seven minutes past, seven minutes to, nobody's scheduling their emails to go out at those times your email will pop through into their inbox on its own. Very interesting. Of course, I, I'm guessing people pick the top of the hour or the bottom of the hour because it that yeah. just feels but actually right, the right? ability is there structured. to send it out at seven minutes past or whatever. Uh, and that and then comes through on its own. Right. Fantastic. Great insights, Rob and Kennedy. Thanks for joining me. Check out their show, The Email Marketing Show, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Where else? Sure, can we're all over the Twitter, so you. you can find us at Rob and Kennedy. We're on there too. Uh, yeah, and we've got a little free thing for listeners as well if they'd like to grab it. Uh, we basically have a free email campaign that you can take and use in order to generate a flurry of sales. It's a, a campaign that we put together and used ourselves. And then we thought, this is cool. We could give this out to people. Uh, so if you want to grab that, you can do so totally free. Just head over to emailmarketingheroes.com forward slash Christoph. That's emailmarketingheroes.com forward slash Christoph. And you can download it for free. And that is spelled C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H. Um, do you, and then you have a, for everybody on Twitter, you have a Twitter That's chat. That's right, yeah. Correct. Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. UK time, hashtag email hour. And we have a different topic every single week where we, and I pose a 
a whole bunch of questions throughout the hour to get you thinking about your email marketing in sort of new and interesting ways. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win. Oh,